Hello and welcome to the official ASIC podcast where we'll be giving you an insight into the type of enforcement work we're doing and the issues we confront every day at the corporate regulator. My name is Andrew Williams and my guest today is Tim Mullally, Senior Executive Leader, Financial Services Enforcement at the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. Tim, thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Tell us a little bit about your position at ASIC and what that involves on a day-to-day basis. Well, Andrew, as you said, I'm the Senior Executive Leader for Financial Services Enforcement. So that's financial advisors and the licensees that they work for. It includes credit providers and credit intermediaries. We look at matters concerning superannuation trustees, managed investment schemes, insurance, banking, um, foreign exchange licensees. Um, so quite a large range uh, of industries we cover. And we also look at Um, people that operate in these industries but are not licensed, so the unlicensed entities as well. So pretty much anything that involves someone's money, you you are enforcing that people aren't doing the wrong thing? We are, we are. That's what we're we're looking to do. So how does that that work for you on a day-to-day? What what does a regular day in your work life look like? Uh, Lots of administrative functions, Um, (laughs) uh, so I need to squeeze those in. But um, I provide the overall strategy and direction for the investigations that are underway within my team. I do that, of course, in consultation with uh, my senior managers and my senior executive that reports through to me. Um, so it's certainly not just something that I look after. I do mm. have a, a really competent and excellent team around me. It can include making decisions about what matters we'll investigate and what matters we might not be able to investigate. We look at um, settling the scope of our investigation, so what's in and what isn't. Mm-hmm. We make decisions on um, the matters and, and how they might be run in terms of the investigations and also, importantly, in terms of the litigation. And we make decisions perhaps around how we might settle matters, what the terms of a settlement would be. I'm also involved um, in decisions around the potential criminal charges that ASIC might want to bring in relation to particular breaches. So it's quite a wide range of decisions that Mm. need to be made on a day-to-day basis and an hour-by-hour basis in relation to it. Currently, we have somewhere around 150 investigations underway at the moment, so um, there's a lot of things that need to be considered, and uh, as I say, it doesn't happen unless you've got a really good team around you, and I do. And how how big is your team? How how many staff are in the financial services enforcement area? Yeah, look, it it can vary because with litigation, sometimes you need to get... uh, uh, large numbers of, say, paralegals in to assist. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it ranges around about 80 to 120 at any point in time. And at, at the moment, I think it's a bit closer to the 120 than than the 80. And what's the primary goal for you and your team? Uh, essentially, when you boil it down, what are you, what are you trying to achieve? Look, you know, um, at, at a sort of high level, what we're trying to achieve is really to support the priorities of of ASIC. Mm. So that's to ensure that there's um, investor and financial consumer trust and confidence and ensuring that there are fair, orderly and transparent markets. So that's the primary aim. And we do that by um, bringing investigations and litigation in respect of breaches of the laws that ASIC uh, regulates and ensuring where there are breaches, that there are enforcement outcomes that are targeted towards those breaches. Tell us about um, some of the ways that you've gone about achieving those aims. Obviously, there are a lot of cases that ASIC undertakes. There are a lot of different kinds of cases that you're dealing with. What are some of the methods you're using to try and get results? 
Oh, Andrew, our investigation teams are made up of highly skilled staff who understand the industries that we regulate and who are really innovative in their approaches to the investigations so that they get the right information and they make the right decisions. But we utilise a full range of our powers and remedies in our investigation. So that's compulsory powers to get information, documents, um, also examinations of um, people that we think might be able to provide us with information. Mm -hmm. So we exercise all those powers. Um, We do a lot of voluntary interviews of people, particularly of consumers that may have lost money to understand the circumstances around that. Um, We operate hopefully is in a really innovative and flexible way, but always we operate within the terms of the law. You have to be more innovative and flexible, don't you? Because this is a, a rapidly changing world. It's, it, the technology has made, I guess, ASIC's job a lot more complex. It's made a lot more complex. It means there's a lot more information available to mm-hmm. us. Um, in the, you know, for want of a better term, the good old days where <laughs> yeah. it was all paper-based, um, there was never quite the amount of information um, that, uh, that there is these days. So these days you're looking at email servers that contain you know, hundreds of thousands of documents that you need to search through. So you, our staff do need to um, be flexible. They do need to be innovative in their investigations. We need to have a lot of support from our IT people so that we can sift through all this information and make sure we're targeting really carefully Um, the important stuff um, so that we can make the right decisions. Uh, How much work is involved in in getting a case from start to finish? I I know that they're, they're, like you say, they're becoming ever more complex. Um, How much work is involved in actually getting something from, well, not even to the finish line, just to the case where sometimes it's going to court? Uh, Andrew, investigations are almost always complex. There's some that aren't, Mm. Um, but uh, some are a lot more complex than others. Where there's a major collapse of an entity, um, such as there was with, say, Opus Prime a few years ago, um, there was a wide range of matters that we needed to investigate in relation to that. Um, We needed to look at uh, compensation for clients. Mm -hmm. We had to investigate the ANZ Bank, and that resulted in an enforceable undertaking with them. We investigated the directors, and that resulted in two of the directors pleading guilty, and a third director been charged with offences but um, been found not guilty after a trial. And that trial was some uh, five years or so after the investigation commenced. Um, there was a, a range of market-related issues involved in that particular collapse. And out of those, we identified some insider trading by another person. And um, those criminal charges are still going through the courts as we speak. The um, amount of documents involved in that was substantial. You know, um, as I said earlier, there's just so much volume of information that you need to go through. Um, A lot of very complex legal issues arise in relation to it. A lot of novel issues arise that haven't necessarily been dealt with before. Um, And the investigation team has to work through all of that in a very coordinated way, but under quite a deal of time pressure, particularly in relation to compensation type issues Mm. where the the investors want to get their money back or get some money back as quickly as possible. So that particular investigation possibly at times had a team of 70 on it itself. So 
very large, very complex matters. There are other smaller matters where we might be looking to ban someone from an industry and um, you know it might be a one or two person job and they can be done and dusted within six weeks or, or so. So there's, those matters might not be as complex, but um, they're still important. Absolutely. How do you decide, and you're probably only going to be able to speak to this to an extent, uh, and it's a question without notice, but how do you decide on, on what cases to take and, and what not to take? Do you have driving principles that kind of guide you there? We do have um, issues that guide us around whether or not we might take something on. So yeah. we always look at what evidence is available um, and what evidence we think might be available. So, uh, for example, if a matter we came across indicated or there was an indication that all the evidence was offshore, so another overseas jurisdiction, um, you know, that might be one factor that would lead against us taking it on. Mm. Um, it's not to say that we wouldn't, but it'd be a factor pointing away from that um, yeah. We look at the market impact of the conduct. Is it something that's you know having a quite a big impact on the market? Um, though there can be some matters that might not have such an impact, and again, those might be the matters where um, all things being equal, we 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 don't take on. Mm. Uh, we look to see if there's any other sort of regulatory body or enforcement body that's more suited to take the action. So. It might be that it's better that the police take on the matter or one of our co-regulators like the ACCC or APRA take the matter on. Um, We look to see whether it's within our current strategic sort of priorities and business planning process, and if it is, we're more likely to take it on. So there's a range of factors. We also look at uh, whether we're going to get an outcome that's um, a good bang for the buck. Mm. So... We look at how much it might cost us to undertake the investigation and will we get an outcome that's commensurate with that cost. Absolutely. We were talking about some of the, the, the challenges in, in the, the way that the world is changing, technology is changing, what you do. Uh, what are some of the other big issues that are confronting you and your team at the moment? Um, well, look, innovation and disruptive technology is really quite big in the financial services area. So things like robo-advice, peer-to-peer lending, um, crowdsourced equity funding, those things are are new. Um, They're having a lot of traction in the market at the moment and ASIC is, you know, not just enforcement within ASIC, but ASIC overall is looking at the ways that we should and can regulate. Um, And these are some fairly tricky issues. Um, ASIC wants to be able to enable innovation but it also needs to make sure that it's done um, with consumer protection in mind and uh, what's the most on a more positive note what's the most satisfying moment you've had during your tenure at ASIC Um, look I think whenever you win a case um, that's satisfying Mm. and particularly those complex cases um, what I always say is ASIC's made up of fantastically smart intelligent lawyers and investigators and accountants and analysts and when they all pull together to bring a case to court and you get the outcome that you expect um, that's immensely satisfying. Tim pleasure uh, speaking with you thanks so much for your time on this episode of the podcast. Thanks Andrew. Uh, We'll hope to bring you many more stories from and about ASIC staff over the weeks to come thanks very much for listening.